You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? All right. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast by the Haney Company. I am pretty excited for my guest today, my 40 under 40 amigo, Irving Washington. How are you, my friend? I am well. Yes, we are 40 under 40 classmates. <laughs> we are. Yeah, no, that was, uh, man, it, it seems like a long time ago. It really wasn't, though. It was only a couple years, I think, but it seems like, you know, the pandemic was an entire decade long anyway, so. Correct. So basically, it's kind of like dog years. So I think we, you know, really was two decades ago. I think. That's right. Yeah. No, I love it. that's. I'm going to take that. I'm going to steal that dog years. That's perfect. Yeah. So um, we always come out the gate on this show hot and heavy first. So the most important questions up front. So let's just let's just dive right in. What okay. food will you not eat under any circumstance? Oh, what food would I not eat? Um, you know, this may change depending on the day. What is, I'll say what first is coming to mind. And, you know, this is coming from a Black family, but I will, I do not like chitlins. Uh, very, very, very big in my family. The smell, no, I could not get past. And you just, I can't, I just will not eat it. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, I, I can honestly say, I don't know that I've ever tried those. So, um, I, I guess just because of your, your response, I'm not going to put it high up on my priority list to try, but you should try it's again, it's, it, it has a lot of history in the black culture and family and, and just our history. So lots of people like it, not just black folks, but for me, it's been one of those things where I really try because a lot of people in my family like it, but I just, I just don't like it. I just, because I, I, I'm really adventurous with food. I try a lot. I really will try a lot. So that question is pretty big to say. Which one will you not eat? And so that's the first thing that popped in my mind. No, I'm 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 a similar type of I'm, I'm not like a true blue foodie, but I'm willing to try just about everything once. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's 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 good to uh, to have you know an expanded palate from time to time. Okay, but if you asked me that question when I was seven, it would be vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Any of them, all yeah. the, they're not on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, it's, it's a very time-sensitive question. You're right. Yeah, very, very specific. Okay, if you could be a superhero, what superpower would you want to have? Superpower, superpower. Uh, what's the most common one? Like flying. I don't, I, flying would be, eh, you know. I think I would do, okay, I know what I would do. I would do, I, I'm fascinated by human psychology. So I think I would pick reading minds. However, I need to be able to turn it on and off. So I don't constantly have voices in my head, literal voices in my head. But yeah, I'm, I think that would be such a fascinating, I, I think what I love is, um, and this is not any dig at any one person because this applies to me too, but I think what we say and what we do are always so different sometimes and what even we don't understand that. So I would love to kind of see a version of someone externally and then hear their internal talk. About no, I, I, I think that that's, yeah, I, I agree. I'm with you right now. That's a, that's an area I think we both share uh, as a, as a passion point. And I always, I always kind of wondered 
you know, if you had that kind of almost like a video that was popped up about what's going on in your head as you walk around, like what would what would be showing? And yeah, I, I think that 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 you're right. It, it's certainly uh, that would be interesting, helpful, and uh, probably a little provocative when you you know, depending on the situation, the circumstance, what kind of conversation. Yeah, okay. I think right. also that was a Black Mirror episode. I think like there was a world where all of your thoughts were recorded or something was always recorded so you could always go back and play it or see it. Interesting. Uh, needless to say, as, as all Black Mirror episodes go, it did not go well. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I I've, I think I've only seen a few of those and uh, yes, it's it's definitely that, uh, well, <laughs> let's take it in this very, very opposite and usually dark direction and, uh, and then land that plane afterwards, so. Very good. But you know, Brian, I would use it to get you the best birthday gifts. That's what I would do. How about that? We'll take it to a place of light. I like it. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Would you rather explore or visit underwater or outer space? Oh, this is easy. So I don't know how to swim. Uh, so I have no intentions of ever going underwater where if something were to crack, I probably would not be in the surviving crew. So I will go to space and it p appears to be very popular among billionaires right now. So I guess, uh, you know, that's the thing to do in 2021. I like that. That's a good answer. You know, I saw uh, a thought provoking meme that I, I think is germane to what you just said. And it made me think, you know, what if UFOs are really billionaires from other planets just visiting us? <laughs> You know, uh, I, I don't rule anything out in the world of possibility. <laughs> I mean, and frankly, that makes probably the most sense of any of the theories out there, in my opinion. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. So, I like that. All right. We'll <laughs> stick with that. Um, besides this podcast, of course, what other podcasts do you listen to that you would want to recommend somebody else listen to? Oh, this is so hard. So I can't just do one because there's, there's a lot that I keep on rotation. I'll tell you again. We'll treat this as the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, Serial podcast is always great. I was listening to that. Uh, I was mentioned to you earlier, We Bought a Puppy. It was a six-hour drive there and back. So I've, I've been listening to um, one of their series. Uh, outside of kind of series and more kind of regular day-to-day, -day, it's been a minute with Sam Sanders with NPR, which I recommend. That's actually pretty cool. And I, uh, I'm kind of a business geek, so I love um, Kara Swisher and uh, Scott Galloway Pivot podcast. Oh, where they talk okay. About tech and I like I, all of those are great suggestions. Uh, and I, I think I have heard and probably even liked at one point pivot out there. So excellent. Wonderful. Well, that's a, all right. That's a good way for those us. Those are to tough. Start. Those are tough, man. I know. They where really do we go are, from here? <laughs> it's, you know, I, I hate, I hate it when, you know, people's ears are smoking and, and your brain's on fire. So now we can, we can bring it back down, make it a little bit easier from here on out. Nothing to worry about. Right. But um, let's uh, so tell tell the audience about yourself. Outside of being, you know, a, a an ASAE fellow, a four under forty extraordinaire, what is your your nine to five? What would what do you masquerade as during the day? Yes, so in my day day gig, I am the executive director and CEO of the Online News Association, which we are a membership association for digital journalists. And I can bet the people listening here now, and I get this every time I say that, is, well, aren't all journalists digital journalists? <laughs> that is the next question that everyone always says when we said that. We were founded in 1999, so that has not always been true. However, yes, uh, most organizations now are, if not fully digital, they recognize the importance of digital, which means that we've just really grown a lot over the last 21 years. And so we're now kind of one of the big tent players in the journalism space. 
So we have people from TV to radio to digital only. So everything from Vox to small local nonprofits to CNN, uh, you name it, they're basically in our community. It's really the people focusing on innovation in the field. That's awesome. And I and I am proud to say I am personally a member. So oh, and, that is and awesome. Enjoyed, yes. Enjoyed being a member for, for several years now. So that is great. Yeah. We are glad to have you. I, I am you, glad you to be a member. To the diversity of professions that members go. You're doing a podcast, right? You do yep. media, even though you're full-time kind of in a different space, but you're doing, you recognize the importance of media and storytelling and innovation, and you're adding it to your day-to-day work. And and it also connects back to my bachelor's in journalism. Ah. So I, it's full circle. Forgot we now. also share that too. We have so many shared uh, interests. I know. this is That's why this was a long time coming. So I knew that. Yeah. No, but so, and I want to I want to pull on that thread a little bit about kind of your association in, in really in the space that you're in now. Um, talk about a couple things. First thing, what's your favorite part of your working day at, in your role for the association? Like what what gets you the most excited? And then um, kind of share a little bit more about some of the things that you're seeing have been big changes that your associations had to go through over the last year? Because I imagine probably those two intersect to a, to a certain degree. Yeah, the, the things that gets me most excited, I'm a people, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert, but I'm a very much an introverted people person. So uh, on one end, kind of just the leadership perspective of seeing our staff grow. Uh, I've been there at the organization for 10 years and executive director of five. And, uh, you know, we have people who've been there for eight and six. And so uh, we really have been able to build a team over uh, a long time relative to being in the organization for 21 years. So like there's literally employees have been there for half of the organization's existence. And so just seeing that growth and development is always fun. Um, And just in watching people be, uh, you know, constantly achieve more, do more, be better and how they grow as leaders. And then same thing on the membership and, and, and community side, just, you know, some of the most impactful things we do, we have a women's leadership accelerator program uh, mm. that brings together women in the industry. Uh, we have diversity programs. We've done really great work in terms of diversifying our events and our conferences. So it's always great to see just a variety of people share a similar passion, even though they have different backgrounds and get to hear the impact that your organization has had in their careers and their life. So that's always been the best part of this job to me. That's awesome. Yeah, so... Um, what let's tie into that as 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 a theme what are some of the things that uh have been on the forefront for your association and its membership and I, you know i don't i don't like to kind of necessarily just zero in on the pandemic obviously that's a collective experience we've all been through recently but you know over the last few years have have there been certain things that um maybe you've had more attention uh towards or certain things that have kind of elevated themselves in terms of value or importance? What, are, what, what kind of trends have, have kind of unfolded? So the easier question would be what has not unfolded? Okay, <laughs> uh, better, yes, I like that. No, 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 but I'll answer your question directly. Actually, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll backtrack it a little bit more because I think it's very, um, it's, it's, it's a, a lot of things intersection, intersect. So I've been with the organization for 10 years. I've been executive director and CEO for five and for everybody listening, uh, I think this will click. I was uh, announced as executive director in 2016, and I started in 2017. And for everybody listening, obviously there was a big thing shift that happened in 
our leadership in the country in mm -hmm. 2017. And so I am starting a job leading a journalist, journalistic organization of members uh, at the same time as sort of that transition. So, and again, I think it's indicative to present day, which is why I took it back some. So right out the gate, uh, prior to that date, misinformation, disinformation uh, was not a terminology that was frequently used as much as it is now. Uh, there was a semblance of what uh, truth was. I think we, you know, it's never been great, but I, I think we generally agreed upon a certain set of facts. And now that has sort of shifted where there might even be debate about if the sky is blue or not. And <laughs> what are the arguments for the sky not being blue? So that definitely is a huge shift around what actually is misinformation, disinformation and trust, which is still prevalent today. Um, and that's not to say that the world was perfect in journalism before that, because there was a lot of issues wrong, but uh, that was one. The uh, other you know, thing at the forefront, again, that's why I tied it back to five years ago, is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Uh, so it's not lost on me that I'm the first Black man uh, to lead the organization, uh, which is still good for you know, a 20-year organization, and I'm the fourth, I believe, executive director. But again, that just intersected with kind of the moment that has happened over the last several years. And journalism really was called out for uh, just some abysmal things that we have as a part of our culture, still have as a part of our culture. So that is uh, a big one. And then I would say the third one, because there's so many of these, is that another uh, word you hear a lot now in our conversations is around the sustainability of the industry uh, between you know just where, uh, how people engage with news, the monetization, of news, uh, the quality of news, that is just such a huge topic right now. And so all of these things plus more sort of just coincidentally intersected um, at the start of my uh, tenure at OA. No, I, I, I'm so glad that you that you threaded those together effectively because I think that that is, it's, it's such an interesting even window. I mean, just, it, you know, some of that stuff doesn't seem like it's that long ago and yet, yeah. you know, so there has been that much galvanizing change for good, for bad, and for otherwise. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I certainly, you know, what had, what had always excited me, especially scholastically growing up about, you know, journalism as an industry is just, you know, it's, it's a window industry, right? It, it's, it's, or at least it's designed to be. So it's, it's supposed to show you, you know, culture, the world, and, and give you a framework to be able to kind of disseminate and dissect information and connect with stories from all over the place yeah. and yet um you know how that how the window i guess has changed and shifted cracked maybe in some areas yeah. and all that kind of stuff is you know i mean you think of you said 1999 i mean if we go back in time and really think about the concept of online of, of taking essentially traditional mediums into yeah. an online marketplace that's kind of where you know a lot of that was starting to happen well know? and he, you know here's a very practical kind of example of that our founding story is uh one of our founders there's a there's obviously there's several journalist associations uh there is one that was very prominent um you know 20 years ago one of our founders worked for msnbc.com and they were not allowed admittance as a member in this other journalistic institution because they did not consider msnbc.com to be journalism. <laughs> and so that is one of the tipping points of many people kind of in that position. And they were like, let's create our own thing. Yeah. Now the joke's on them, but. 
because turns out this thing called the internet ended up being something kind of big, but you know. Yeah, it's it's stuck around. It's not a fad, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, you know, and I want to I want to dive into. I was really excited because I know we definitely both share a passion when you mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I want to pull on that thread a lot um, because obviously that is something that uh, is not just visible and a part of the cultural fabric and has had a lot of um, events that have kind of, you know, spurred, I think, hopefully a lot of introspection and healthy change. But, you know, how do you, how, what are some of the things that you have seen uh, that you feel are maybe the most impactful and and also things that are are hopeful? Um, Because I think sometimes there can be a a bent towards negativity or, or things can be framed in such a way so that way they're more emotionally provocative but you know yeah. i know that you're you're able to kind of see a lot of that and and probably see a lot of those positive shining lights so, t- so let's talk about that a little bit yeah i think the most positive thing uh this is this might be a bad analogy i feel like particularly 2020 was a moment you remember the what is it, the matrix like the blue pill or whatever the color yep, pill, blue red you, pill. Could choose, you could choose to be in the ignorance of the fake world or you can choose to take that and i think Maybe everybody didn't choose, but I think more people have been by choice, choice or force, given the red pit, whatever. Let's say that's the pill of you know of really seeing the world for what it is. I think more people have been given that pill, and so I think there is an awareness now that has that is for the better. And I don't actually just I so I don't even think that it's for solely but white people necessarily either because I'm reflecting even on. The, an awakening in me, um, having been fully, you know, versed and immersed literally by demographic into DEI. And just looking at even things that I looked at, Norman, I'll give you a, a great example. This happened just literally over the weekend. Um, everything goes back to the puppy because that's all the life right now. But we picked up our <laughs> puppy, uh, you know, it was a six hour drive and Serial, the podcast I just mentioned, bringing all this together. I listened to, they had a, uh, uh, series on nice white parents. And ultimately the conclusion is around how much nice white parents influence whether um, integration happens or not and kind of that sort of piece. And so they referenced um, a situation in New York. Uh, they only briefly mentioned it. It was a situation in New York where I think they were trying to integrate or diverse, diversify the school. It would have, I think, held one spot. And again, people from New York would know this better than I would, but it would hold like one spot, I think, for a black student or a student of color. And so there were a lot of parents, uh, mostly white, upset about that because they, they were saying that it's going to, um, you know, lower the performance of school. It's not fair to the kids that worked hard, obviously the white kids that worked hard. And so I was watching a news report on this. Like I went and Googled this because I, I, I heard it on the podcast and I'm like, oh, I want to see what, how the news was talking about then. And I found a story, it was a series, so I don't know what other stories they did, but they did a series on that story because I guess the chancellor of the school, uh, he retweeted a tweet that said, angry, uh, racist white parents. Uh, I forget the full tweet, but that was sort of what he used. And so the story focused on how people were shocked that the chancellor said this, right? And in this new story, they only interviewed white parents. And the only question that they asked the chancellor in the story that they showed was, how can you assure parents that their schools will not be? And I kept thinking, Not at one point in the story did anybody talk to anyone Black, a Black parent, or even even if that language at the time felt charged, 
No one even questioned to say, is there anything in here that couldn't have elements of racism, right, in the story? It was firmly planted in the view of how a white parent would perceive this story and all the questions they were asking. And so I'm also looking at that like, wow, would I even have had that awareness in 2015, whenever this was? And so I think that was a long way for me to kind of say, I think now that story would not fly uh, to have mm -hmm. a story like that. Literally don't talk to a single person, Black or a Black parent or a Black child or anything. And so I, that's where I do see the positive. I think those kind of conversations will be questioned more now. No, I, that's such a great uh, example. I mean, I, and, and I'm, I'm really glad that you framed it that way. Because, yeah, I mean, I think it, you're certainly right in terms of not just the heightened, like you said, awareness, eyes opened, but I, I definitely have seen, you know, a, a bigger capacity. I don't like the words fair and balanced because I think that they get moved around really more to kind of market certain yeah. entities. But if we take them out of the marketing context and really talk about, you know, what's what's really fair is is just hearing everyone's perspectives because I, I, I always love the psychology example of if you inter if, if you have three people that see an accident and you have and you interview all three of them, they give you three different stories yeah. and, and they're all right. Right. They're all correct about their story of seeing the same incident. But you get the benefit of the perspective and, and you know, how everybody saw the same thing. And so I think that that's just something that, you know we're starting to see, I guess, more people connected to an understanding of, and I and certainly think it seems like the industry, yep. you know, uh, the journalism industry is doing a, a more um, strategic job of, of bringing that together and trying to, to get that type of a, a, you know, perspective on news telling and storytelling. But I, what I love about that, though, is that also applies to associations and other organizations. It's just like yeah. how you are framing, um, things to your members, things to your board, things to your staff, like it, to me, it transcends so many. And I love, you know, I think where I'm at now with DEI is really um, breaking down what that actually means. Cause there's so, it's such a broad topic. And I think you can kind of, you can go on in this very high level view forever and not get yeah, to yeah. it. So I think over, particularly over the past, in this year, specifically, I've been looking at, okay, what really are the things and like that framing is one, uh, like another one is, and again, I think this is a parallel you could say to associations is what's happening now in a lot in journalism is uh, what is objectivity? I mean, you know, as a journalism major, we were taught to, uh, you know, journalists don't share their political affiliations. You are not a part of the story. You should not do these sort of things. And that conversation, well, that was kind of framed from a particularly white male perspective in the founding of journalism. And if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, there are certain experiences that are literally a part of you. So you're asking me to not um, have any part of me in the story. And then the notion of how to be truly objective because even deciding what stories to talk about or to do, you're carrying something in you that deems that important based upon your yeah. life experiences. So before you even get to like, and then the whole thing of you know both sidesisms in the story, and we saw this, over the last year. And I think it also applies to associations as well too. Cause I think as associations, we think that we're doing certain things objectively and fairly and not acknowledging the background that we bring to even the discussion to decide what we're talking about. No, that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And I think, you know, that the old adage, right? We report, you decide. 
Yeah. Really? Well, what does that mean? Um, it, it's very interesting. I, I, uh, I'm excited. I just had a great uh, episode I recorded with uh, Nick Valencia, who's a mm -hmm. CNN correspondent. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, we were touching on some of the same things and he was talking about, you know, uh, even, even just what you get when it comes to what your producers sending you there for. Yep. And I mean, there's just so many things that it's, it's not all this like conscious, I'm only going to do this. It's just, you're right. You're, everybody's bringing something to the table. You can't separate yourself out from the yep. equation, but I think what you're leading to and what you're talking about is, you know, maybe being more strategic and intentional at making sure the voices that need to be heard are, are, are being heard. It sounds like yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, from a leadership standpoint, from a, from an association standpoint, even from an industry standpoint, that's probably a learning that I think a lot of people are going through right now. Yeah. And I, and the other thing that I think I see people, you know, that I kind of stress and, and it's even my evolution too, is we, we love to be binary for things. So either you're a racist or you're not, either you're a feminist or you're not, either you're this or you're that. And so, you know, we anchor ourselves into what is the, the most morally um, value thing that we like to believe that ourself is versus saying, well, we could kind of be all of these things. Like all of these things can exist in a, in a person and it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of this um, kind of good or bad piece. I think, you know, the, 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 the thing that has resonated with the most is this exercise I did as a part of a leadership cohort um, many, many years ago, but it sticks to me today. And it was um, I think it, it's applicable is that uh, it was a six person group. We defined the group, the six of us defined what a high power person was and a low power person was like it was defined by us. So, um, you know, some things are obvious, like uh, men were in high power, women were in low power, just how society views it. Uh, white people were in high power, people of color were in low power, the, you know, socioeconomic status, wealthy were in high power, lower class people. And what we had this huge list of like all these kind of high power, low power things. And at the end, what you, with the purpose of the exercise, it was, hey, I incorporate a lot, all of this. Like I'm a man that comes with a lot of power, right? Like in the society, I'm also a black person that comes with not as much power in some sets. I have a certain income that gives me certain benefits that people from a lower income don't. So you just got to see you know, we're, we're in this whole back and forth of both all these things, but we tend to anchor ourselves on whatever our sort of lower power thread is. And I think it's really about, you know, I start from the place of, I don't say that I'm not anything, I do the reverse. And it's like, I have certain levels of privileges, regardless of my background, that I know I'm coming with a bias. It's not if, I know it is a bias. And so my job is to figure out in moments when it's impacting what I'm doing and how can I not correct for it, but how can I account for the biases I'm bringing? I think that that's um, so well defined, right? It, it, how can we become more cognizant of our own framework and then intentionally create opportunities for us to have a paradigm shifting moment, right? Yeah. To have our uh, you know horizons broadened and to and to be able to connect to that other point of view that might that might clash with us or that might not feel good or that might be challenging or provocative, but to do that intentionally because um, there's value. I think that you know what you're talking about is really something that it, hopefully more more of us are starting to really recognize and connect with that we become better when we expand our capacity and our understanding. 
Yeah. You know, when, when we are intentionally provoked as people and when we challenge certain assumptions, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to change a lot of things, but it, it, it allows you to feel, I think, more confident in the things that you hold true to, but then you, you also grow as a person, yeah. you expand, you become a more well-rounded individual. And I think that that's, that only benefits society, right? And I think the key, I think the key is really, you have to enjoy that growth. Like it can't be this thing that you're trying to get rid of or trying to fix or like, how can I get this problem to go away? You really have to enjoy that growth. And I think for me, I really embrace, like, I love it when somebody gives me a perspective that I didn't see, I was completely blindsided by, even if it was offensive to someone. And even recently back before pandemic times, I uh, was a part of another group. It was an international group uh, of all executive directors. And so I'm walking into the room for this week. It was majority people of color. You know, it probably majority women. And I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing and diverse group. Like, I'm just like, this is kind of like, you know, this is where we want to get to. And over the course of the week, we were able to have this really frank conversation about diversity and people, it was international and people from the global South, which is not even a term I frequently use. They pointed out how this was predominantly for global North people and they were forgotten about. Wow. And wow. I thought like, oh my, and I'm completely clue, like I'm thinking this is just the, and of course I'm from the global North. Like I'm, I'm seeing people like me and, and it, you know, just take even, that was a moment even where race wasn't even fully in the context because we were, you know, majority people of color. So it's not, you know, race wasn't the main factor we were talking about, but just them pointing that out. I was like, I'm so grateful you all said something. I would have left here not even being remotely aware of kind of the privilege it is to be from the global north in a in a in a room like this. Wow. Yeah. No. I mean, isn't again, and that's that's wonderful to be able to have had that expansive dynamic, right? To to be able to see, like, oh my gosh, like I I didn't even see that. Like, yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess one of you know associations are really certainly at the forefront of engaging and because it's such a great community that represents every industry that exists in our nation and internationally as well. So what are some other things that you have seen um, that, you know, or maybe even things that you're, you know, that, that uh, online news association is trying to do that are helping to take uh, organizations and maybe even an industry and move it forward. Because I think that, you know, you're, you're right. Now that we have many, many more people kind of coming to the table, I keep hearing though, it's hard to kind of know, all right, well, what are the steps? What, you know, how do we go from here to there? And that's certainly not, you know, there's no cookie cutter way to do it, but what are some of the things that you think would be really helpful for someone that's, you know, asking that question of themselves and wanting to take the right steps? Yeah, I think it's a combination of kind of just personal work that people need to do whatever way, shape or form uh, around reading, education, knowledge, talking to people in, in, in ways that uh, people are receptive of the kind of those conversations. Because uh, I'm just a firm, firm, firm believer. This has to start at the top. Like, and I used to be a little bit more not as um, it has to be this way. But as we as we progress, it just has to start at the top. And even if you're a leader that doesn't understand it, I mean, even in the context of um, I was I had this conversation. We typically frame this around people don't know what to do, 
Um, but being specific, we are a lot of times talking about white people because there are some people in organizations that might be women, people of color, different backgrounds, maybe international. They have a ton of ideas. They are mm-hmm. right there in your organization. They have a ton of ideas and they don't have a platform or the authority or the responsibility officially to do that. So you have kind of this unpaid labor that may be happening doing there. So I think even kind of reframing that of people don't know what to do versus um, there are people that know what to do. Likely in my very organization, it's my job to kind of elevate that, highlight that for the people that want to do that kind of work. Um, but in terms of what I've seen working, we launched a program, uh, Vision 25, which is a collaboration between two other organizations where we're looking at more of the systemic approaches. I do think uh, I recommend that associations don't do this alone and that this is a prime opportunity for partnerships where every industry is so unique. Like we all have the same problem in terms of diversifying um, representation and just, you know, better DEI. And, uh, but the reasons for the problem are the same and different. And so I do yeah. think it's where you need to kind of balance being with like-minded peers, but also getting information from outside of your industry and, and more resources. No, I, I think that that's so, uh, yeah, I mean, that is so important as well, because, you know, ultimately, how are you going to influence your members in your industry if you're kind of only seeing that kind of macro level, it all kind of needs to move in a certain direction. But, you know, every industry certainly has its its very unique and, and in many respects, pretty definable barriers that you're going to probably try to tackle and overcome and what are the parties, you know, who are, who are going to be the champions that you're going to bring to the table to help and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that is something that, yeah, you know, needs to be very, very well-defined and specific. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, the, the, when you're talking, the other thing that I um, think a lot about, or I think people just don't, everyone doesn't get it, is that uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is very personal. Like we're bringing a lot of life ex- lived experiences to our thinking around this. And I believe you need strategies. I believe you need tactics. I believe you need the DEI plan, but there is a values piece of this. And there's a trust part of this mm-hmm. that people, whatever, I think people need to get clear on what DEI means to them. Don't do what you see other people doing. Don't do what you think people want you to do figure out to your core, where do you want to be kind of in this space without judgment and develop trust and rapport around that. Because the other thing that I see that flatlines is that you see these big sort of DEI plans, but then if you ask anyone from any kind of marginal background about it, they don't buy it because they don't buy it for real from the person doing it. Mm -hmm. And that perception was built from experiences over time. And just like any relationship and trust, you will have to then double the experiences over time to make me trust that you're serious about this, right? And if you skip that step or rush it, that's where I also see well-intended plans just fall flat because again, nobody's buying it. Whether it's true or not, and whether you fully believe it, you've created experiences over time that people have not had a pleasant experience with what they believe you feel about DEI or how you show that day to day. And so that's just a critical piece that's so individual that I, d- I just see people missing it constantly. Well, and I, and I think, you know, you have to be intentional to root out and know 
what people think. What, what do people really trust? I mean, yeah, you, you need to be intentional about hearing those perspectives and being creating a safe enough space for that dialogue and being willing to listen receptively yeah. to try to understand. Because I, I think you're right. I think that that's that's hard for certain people. Um, regardless of the best of intentions, because you're, you're probably going to hear things that you may not want to hear, but you need to, yeah. you know, yeah. especially you know, the love language, that uh, to succeed. You know, like the five language, love languages, I, I mm -hmm. tend to believe, also this is mine, so this, I'm bringing my bias because this is my love language, but I, I fundamentally, fundamentally believe DEI is an act of service. Love. I like that. And... Yeah you can put as much money as you want to put into it, you know, with gifts, you can, um, you know, put, I would say probably also quality time. You know, I think it's somewhere in between those two mm -hmm. is that people need to see, um, and love may sound like extreme, but I think it's such a relative good example of people need to see that love, whatever it is for you around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, I, and I've seen so much when you get that right, even if you're wrong on some of your thinking, the level of support that you get and how many people want to help you and the movement that you get behind being aligned on values trumps any DEI plan I've ever seen. Because if you can get people in the same accord with that, um, the plan will come, right? But like getting that on the same accord with your team, with your members, you just you just have so much goodwill and so much movement. Um, and I, I just, you know, it's cliche, but I think it literally makes the world better if associations get that, get that right. I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, uh, you know, talk about Stephen Covey's seven habits, that empathetic listening is so foundational, right? How many of us really do come to the table with the intent of listening with empathy? You know, because all the varying, varying levels of listening, that's the very bottom one. And that's the one that I think we, we get to the least, but that's key. You know, you want to come in and actually, you know, try to understand and experience, right? Not just the words that are being said, but where they're coming from and why and how, and what are the emotions? What's it, what is it like to have walked in somebody's shoes for years and, and experiencing what they've gone through, which, you know, has impacted them. Yeah, no, I think that that's, yeah, you're right. I, and I, I like how you brought the, the love languages to the table. I, have you, I don't know if you've read, because I know they've done the love languages for business as well. It's been a very, I, I like how it, it's, it's yeah, it, it, they've evolved it to be a lot more effective for, you know, relationships in any setting. So, I, I, you know, definitely check that version out because it's pretty, you know, it's pretty powerful. I love that. Yeah, me and my partner, like we, we, it's so funny. Also, you can have knowledge and still, you know, speaking of like, actually, you can have brain knowledge or something and still trying to do it. It's a daily thing, right? Like anybody in a relationship can tell you. Absolutely. Think the same thing with DEI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You wake up every day and you choose, yeah. you know, to live as a valued-centered individual. And then guess what? You wake up tomorrow and you make the same choice. No, you're yeah. right. So, you know, I want you to talk about text to table because uh, that fits into this conversation. But, but to take me back to, you know, the genesis of that, and just how that became something that you, I know we're engaged with and a part of, and just, yeah, I wanna hear that story. Cause that's, that was a wonderful thing that I saw uh, come out and and I'm interested in the in the backstory for it. Yeah, so the backstory, um, the backstory is actually more in a dark place, but uh, now because of what has happened from it, I can kind of talk about it with a smile. Uh, but um, when George Floyd was murdered, uh, and there was a lot of just uh, 
conversation around what that meant and racism and uh, just so many different things. You know, each of us, and, uh, and when I say each of us, there's four uh, people in this who are also CEOs, Sean Boynes, Michelle Mills-Clement, and Dante Shannon. We've always had a text kind of group with, with each other. And there's, there's multiple like text, text of text. And I'm sure everyone has it with their family or friends and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we were actually talking about, you know, in this moment as a black CEO, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing right now? Mm -hmm. And so what was so interesting about it was at that time, Michelle was jazzed. She's like, I'm talking to my board, I'm talking to my staff, we're holding people accountable. We're, I mean, she, I mean, she was so jazzed about um, obviously not George Floyd's murder, but about holding people accountable in this moment, right? And mm -hmm. really using this moment as a chance to kind of move things. And then, you know, I think Sean, as he's publicly said, Sean was kind of like, I don't have time to help white people right now. Like I'm protecting my emotional headspace and like this, you know, like they were in kind of two different camps. And I was in this sort of just paralyzed camp of like, you know, I'm the person that sort of always has it together, like a really kind of leadership moment. And I realized one of the things for me was uh, it was the external reaction, particularly even my personal networks, like people reaching out to me. Uh, that was just really overwhelming because it was, mm -hmm. it was this thing of like, well, you've lived your life a certain way, accepting things as this is how they are. And to have everybody wake up and realize it too. And then respond to you with that. Like, you know, when I was little, you know, we had, and we all share these classic stories. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO. I, I'm right up the street from a Walmart. I am always conscious of having a receipt if I leave there. Or if I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, I know that's going to be perceived somewhere. Like it's, it's, I do it without thought, right? Because I've had experience. I had the experience when I was in a drugstore, 12 years old, simply walking down an aisle with a big coat, a woman had stopped me and wanted to fill my coat to see if I had stolen anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are just, they were just lived experience that were so normal. So to have like the world, in my opinion, kind of wake up was super overwhelming. So anyway, we're texting about this. And then um, the way that I kind of process it was like, okay, I can't solve the world's problems. I do have a sphere of influence in my communities of sorts. What is it that are things that I could do? And so I literally, I wish I had kept it. I did like a whole brainstorm kind of thing. And this was like, you know, months after. And I text, um, I'm, uh, they will all joke. I'm kind of the early riser. And so the joke is like, Erin will text you like a whole dissertation before seven in the morning. <laughs> or send you these links. Of, Did you see this? Did you see this? And so I was like, hey, what if we recorded a conversation between the four of us just about how we're processing this and you know, recommendations and just shared it on our Facebook pages. And they were like, oh yeah, because we had previously done the ASAE session. Mm -hmm. uh, again, not the same thing. It was different people, but we just thought that would be, uh, that would be good to do in this moment. And to show how we truly work as a team, if it had to stop there, if it had to stop with me, you would have just saw this on our pages. It would have been on a Zoom. That was it. And I think Michelle was like, well, you know, I work with a sore sister who does communications. She might could just spruce it up a little bit. So then it came back and it had like this color to it and it looked really nice. And, and I should also forgot, we recorded it. And what we were not anticipating is after we recorded it, we felt so good. It was just cathartic. It was, it just, we just felt really good about getting that out, right? Mm -hmm. And so from there, you know, her communications person helped us kind of jazz it up a little bit. 
And um, the other backstory, and, and I'll kind of wrap this up, which people don't know is that uh, my church that I go to, my one of the impetus when I thought of this was my uh, pastor, he does a series called um, Can I Push It? And so it's a series where he takes quote unquote controversial topics in the church and he dissects it. Like he's like, let's talk about it. Does it do us any good by not talking about it? So, you know, pick anything that's controversial in the church. He has a, he has a, a, a series on it. And so I was like, yeah, we should call it, you know, can I push it? And I'm like, wait, that's plagiarism. <laughs> I don't want my pastor mad at me for doing that, even though no, probably very few people in the association world would know. And uh, I can't remember who kind of said it, but it sort of just came to life where like, oh, this came from a text. So it became text to table. We put it up. It had amazing response. We got a ton of notes about, you know, our, just we were just being very real, authentic, uh, being ourselves. I think aside, people didn't see of us because uh, we were usually so buttoned up. And now and a year later, it's uh, continued. We do, a, we do a monthly show. We have content that we produce through the week. We're currently, I don't know when this uh, podcast will fully air, but we're currently in a fundraising because we announced that we're going to launch a nonprofit. So we're taking donations. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page at Texas Table to see that to launch. Uh, this is the 501c3. That's amazing. I mean, I just, you know, I, I was uh, certainly floored. Uh, you know, when I when I first saw it and, and listened, and and obviously knowing you and, and and the community that was involved, it was something I was excited about. But it's it's just yeah, I I, I mean, because I I looked at it and 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 felt like it was something that to me I, I don't like to say you know you can kind of everybody can take that same pill, but I felt that you just you did something that is somewhat novel but a lot of people could yeah. consider like this is you know you were creating space for the conversations that needed to be had yeah. as leaders not just you know i mean there's what i, I got the numbers there's about 800 new podcasts new podcasts every day there was over eight yeah eight hundred ninety thousand new wow. podcasts in 2021 wow. right so so you know, I mean, there's tons of people coming out and producing content, all the other stuff. So, you know, but the fact that, you know, all of you were in that and that place of leadership, as well as, you know, I mean, that's just, that was, that was, I, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, it would be great to see, I think, like you were saying, more leaders, not necessarily feeling like they have to do that, yeah. but being willing to say, okay, I'm, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is the space that I'm in. And maybe I can do something to create that kind of a space for shared engagement and experience, because I think it's, it's necessary. It's elevating. And I also think it's that, it's that transparency and vulnerability that really does influence everybody around you, yeah. you know, because if, if, if they, I'm sure everybody on your staff, if they see you being that way, they're going to become a lot more willing to be that way themselves. Honestly, we were floored by the response. I, I, I mean, the, probably the best thing about this, again, in our roles, you do so much strategy and plans and all. This didn't have a plan. This is what we're going to throw up on Facebook. And we, literally, it's been fun. Just we've been taking this as it's evolved. And so that part has been fun to do it with friends. And then also to see the impact that it's having, even though this came from a very dark place. Like it is putting light into the world. And I think the way that I processed it where what makes it different is 
there's there's always a level of, you know, I'm not really a fan of bring your whole self to work, right? There's there's a level of professionalism that we all have to not fully be ourselves. But I think one thing that gets lost into it is that if you're in a marginalized group, you have like another layer where there's a predominant culture, right, that is around you out in outside of work. So it's like you're not your full self at work. There's a predominant culture that is not typically your culture. So you're never quite there yet. And so there's like another layer of kind of who you are that people similarly you usually experience. Uh, and I think what it is is we kind of broke that line where we showed sort of what that other layer was um, to how we would normally engage. And I think that, uh, again, in this role where you're presented as a certain way as a CEO, that's a little untraditional for people to sort of do to do that. But that was, and I think that's why I felt cathartic to us because we were literally just being ourselves uh, without the veil of even the predominant culture, you know, even beyond the sort of work culture, even the predominant culture, you know, even like the way that we talk and all those kind of things. That was just, it's, it's been great to do. It's been great to see the reaction and really, um, you know, how it's kind of grown into other things or what it's inspired other people to do has actually been probably the, the best thing for me from this. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could tell the impact right away when I first listened. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm really glad to hear that that's, that it, it and especially now that it is, you know, a 501c3 and we can, we can continue to support it that way. That's, that's outstanding. I, you know, the culture piece, I think is a, is another thing that I, I, I want to kind of pull on that thread a, a little bit. Um, because I think that that's, that seems to be something that I would think has a lot of application for uh, certainly the association community and definitely industry, right? Because you just described what is it like to come to work as who you are. And, and, and so certainly if, if associations can intentionally create a culture, not just acceptance, but valuing people for where they are, right? Who they are holistically, um, that that can go a long way. You know, not just saying, well, this is because I think it's very easy in any kind of employment dynamic to kind of you you concentrate on your functional capacity. Like this is your job description. This is what you do and all that kind of stuff. And we engage on all that or, you know, we engage on our collective mission. And but but, you you know, even in just that, you're unintentionally missing the people that are there and, and where they come from and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably something that that, you know, I would think could really help how do you how how would you see that playing out what would you recommend an association do when it comes to exploring culture especially from you know a dine type type of framework you know it's funny i'm just i'll just bring everything home with this i didn't even think about this so you just said it but in the the serial podcast about nice white parents they were saying one of the issues with uh the integration is that typically these new schools were started because white parents were trying to you know get a better education for the kids and so for many of the white parents, the goal was integration and diversity. Like that was the benefit to them. But if you talk to, um, you know, students of color or kids with lower class, lower incomes, their priority was not diversity because they were in diverse schools in their opinion. They wanted smaller class sizes. They wanted um, access to more renowned teachers. And in that whole integration process, you saw where there were Yes, integration is ultimately a great goal, but it also favors a predominantly the predominant group. And so I think if you flip this to associations, I think sometimes we're talking about DEI in that same sense, 
where mm -hmm. we want to be more inclusive. We want people to bring their whole selves. And for some people, it's like, well, I want to be paid fairly. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, want, I want to be paid fairly. I want to have access to promotions that I see my other counterparts getting. I want to know, you know, like those are very real things beyond just diversifying sort of a yeah. workforce. And I think if you address those as individual pieces, you ultimately get to the goal of, you know, more diverse workforces, bringing people, you know, their whole self to work. But I think, again, it's kind of checking your bias, right? Like, is this coming majority, is this, is the impetus of this coming from a majority bias and opinion and why we are even doing this, which goes back to the objectivity piece is like, even setting what the objectives are, is it coming from a predominant majority place? Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I, I, yes, I think that that's so, that's so key. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time for us to be working in this wonderful industry, right? You know, because uh, I think we're, we're fortunate that there are just some amazing leaders, some very talented people, and, and everybody that's really passionate about seeing change happen, not talking about it, but, you know, being yeah. agents of change. Um, and it's inspiring. I mean, you know, Texas Tables, it was inspiring to me. It was inspiring to us. It was inspiring to our, our company. So many. I love it. I mean, I think we're in a great moment. I think, and again, I think, you know, not to even just silo everything like the, I really think you, you are seeing a demographic shift in so many different ways where, you know, I would couple DEI with, you know, a movement around more transparency, around more accountability of leaders, around more not top-down leadership, right? Like about being more authentically in who you are as a leader. Like I see all of this as a shift that's happening yeah. that, you know, DEI is encompassed into that. But I, you know, this past year with work from home, um, there's so many things that culturally that are shifting. I feel like we're right in that kind of tipping point moment and not to look at it as sort of this single thing, like about work from home, about DEI, about this, like this is all about, um, if you're an association leader, you have a top line goal of you want to have the best talent culture, you want to help your members, and you want to have a growing organization. And that requires people voluntarily deciding to be a part of what you're doing. And so again, I think we're in this moment where we have to create a different value proposition as to why people should be in association work overall. And I, and I think it's a good thing. You know what? That's that's a great way to end this because I, I completely agree. And I'm glad that you said that because I think you're right. You know, and and it is. It, I mean, I, you know, we're seeing um, it's wonderful for us as as, you know, a, a practice that gets to work with associations as our clients to see how that's playing out in real life. Right. How is everybody doing that, you know, reexamining the value proposition that the answer to that ever important question? Why us? Yep. Right. It is. It's it, I, I, I agree. I think it's a great time. Uh, I thank you for your time, my friend. This is this has been great. Wonderful. Let me let me let you end it with any kind of final shout outs you want to make any plugs. Oh, shout out. Shout out. Well, I, I need I, sh I will shout out. Um, of course, I'll shout out ASAE. I'm on the board. So hopefully everyone is a member of ASAE and participating in events and getting everything we talked about. You can get knowledge from ASAE. Uh, also, shout out to Text to Table, my uh, wonderful co-host. 
do another plug for our fundraising campaign for us to start our 501c3. You can find that on our Facebook page at Text to Table. And I'm going to give a shout out to you, Brian, for engaging in this wonderful conversation and putting out the content business is not easy. <laughs> As someone both working in the daytime, getting supporting people doing it, and now moonlighting doing it in a nonprofit world. Uh, yeah, it's not an it's not an easy gig to do. So uh, I, I commend you for uh, putting quality content out there for all the folks listening. You're, you're very kind. I appreciate that. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun um, to be able to do it, but you're right. It is, <laughs> it is, it is not easy. And, and that's again, why I'm so grateful for, you know, online news association and just kind of the opportunities to be able to do it. And, uh, I've got some, I've got some really good help behind the scenes. So, uh, thankfully, um, they make, they make showing up and, and having the conversations a lot easier. Cause if I had to do more of that work, it <laughs> wouldn't be happening. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll have a continuation of this, I imagine, at some point in the future. Yeah, maybe we'll be like 50 under 50 if that award exists, because that's kind of past that mark now. <laughs> oh, man. Don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I can't be thinking about that. Right? I just, I'm, I'm just holding on to that 4-0 for as long as I can. So, all right, my friend. Good talking to you. Take care. Information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.